As we continue in the book of Philippians, Scripture reading is from Philippians 1 today, verses 3 through 11. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Well, good morning on this beautiful Memorial Weekend. Glad you've joined us to fellowship today. I want to draw your attention to begin with this morning to our visual up here. As you can see, it spells the word joy, but if you look closely, I don't know if the back, people in the back can come see it later and maybe so you can see it more closely, but it's us. It's pictures of all of us, or at least as many as we could get up there at this point. We, we didn't have room for everybody, but the idea is we are all up here. And it's a puzzle. So you've got Josh, you've got Zach, you've got Tyler, you've got Barb, you've got Cindy, you've got Michelle, you've got Val, and etc. It represents all of us. And notice, it's how these puzzle pieces fit together that matter. As those puzzle pieces fit together, as our relationships are good and strong, then we experience the joy of community. That is God's design. We're all part of the joy puzzle here at Cole Community Church. And when we fit together well, we experience that joy. But what will hold us together? What, what binds us together in this puzzle with all our differences, uh, with all the ways that we sin against one another and we hurt one another as we stumble along through life and, and as we grow and try to get to know Jesus better and in the midst of all that and with all our differences, different perspectives, different backgrounds, different races, all those things, how can we be bound together through all of that and, and especially when we get shaken by circumstances that want to break the puzzle apart. Well, in a word, what holds us together, what the glue is that holds us together, is love. It's love. But love is so often misunderstood in our culture, isn't it? Our, our human response is basically, okay, i got to love everybody here. I, get, I have to feel warm affection <laughs> to everybody in this church. That's way too much to ask <laughs> because that's the world's view of love, right? It's this warm attraction. It's a warm feeling towards people. And uh, I was struck by an article in the Idaho Statesman this week. The title is Your Soulmate Out There. Here's what the experts think. Love hearing from the experts, right? In the article, they say 
Part of the reason why love interests change over time is because people change and partners might grow apart. The person who was perfect for you in that period in your life may not be perfect anymore. And you may not fall out of love with a person before feeling in love with another. Loving two people simultaneously doesn't fit with society's current norms or expectations about love, but it does happen and goes on to explain all that. And, but, but I want you to notice the perspective of what love is which is common in the world. It's this feeling of attraction, of compatibility. But in a marriage, for example, if you don't have those feelings anymore, then apparently you're not in love. Like the old Gordon Lightfoot song, right? I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone. And I just can't get it back. So, uh, bye. (laughs) See you later. What the world really is focusing on is, is what the Greeks call eros, right? Romantic love. The word love in the English language is way too broad. It's kind of lost its meaning. We say, I love pizza and I love my wife. Are those really the same? I hope not. <laughs> we don't have a good way to explain it. The ancient Greeks, New Testament period, had four words for love. And three of them are used in the New Testament. There's the word eros, which is romantic love, which can come and go. There's phile, which is friendship love. It's this sense of compatibility or uh, connection binding us together. Good things bind us together. But, um, but these are not the biblical love that we'll be looking at today. You see, the New Testament picks a word up and transforms it. It's the word agape, agape love. None of those other forms of love that the world knows, and that's all the world knows, can make a marriage really last and grow and flourish over time. None of those kinds of love can bond a community together to create joy. Only agape love can. You see, God's love is a different thing altogether than what the world has any idea. Because it begins and is empowered by God himself. That's agape love. And it is the love, it is the force that's meant to bind a couple together in marriage over the long haul. Agape is the force that's meant to put us together in the community of faith with all our differences so that we truly learn to love one another in a way that brings joy in our lives. It holds the puzzle pieces together. So if if our love in the body of Christ is meant to be this supernatural agape love, well, then what does it look like? And how do we live it out? Well, I think our passage today, we're just looking at Verses 7 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1 will help us understand. Let's pray together. Lord, as we gather as a community together, we, we, we just have to confess and admit we don't love well that agape love is beyond our ability to pull off. But thank you that you've made provision. And in this passage, we'll see how you call us to 
agape love, a higher love, a supernatural love, a love that's lived out only in your strength and your power. So today, Lord, may you transform our view of what love is and may you help us understand how to live in the power of agape love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to look at four aspects of agape love. First is the heart, the heart of love. Notice as verses 7 and 8, for it is only right for me to feel this way, actually, literally, it's to think this way, about you all, you all, everybody in the church in Philippi, because I have you in my heart, Paul writes, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says something really interesting here. He says, I have you or I hold you in my heart. What's he saying by that? I think he's saying there's a deep, heartfelt affection, which he goes on to talk about for others with agape love. It really does move your heart towards the other person so that you hold them in your heart. Sometimes we think of agape love, I've heard this over the years at times, that it's a choice of the will. Agape love is a choice to put someone else first. Well, that's true. We'll talk about that. But there's much more depth to it than that. It goes to the very center of where we are. Otherwise, it's kind of like, well, I need to be nice to this person, even though I really don't like them. (laughs) I don't like you, but I love you because God tells me to. That doesn't work. That's not agape love. And that's not Paul's attitude at all. Notice how in verse 8 it says he longs for them. This is a deep, abiding, endearing longing for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's deep. It's profound. What stirs this emotion? What stirs this depth? Well, Human love, it's essentially compatibility. You make me feel good. We have certain things in common. I remember being in high school and and when I was a junior in high school, and I ran into this classmate of mine. I'd never really talked to her, and we just, we ended up having this two-hour conversation where there's this amazing connection. We shared similar experiences. We shared similar things about our families, and it was a wonderful couple of hours where we really connected. So we thought in typical high school mentality, well, gee, if we connected this much, we should should go steady. Now they say going out, you know, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Uh, Two weeks later, we broke up, basically, because (laughs) we kind of connected on one level, but that was kind of as much as far as it went. We did share something in common, but, but that was the extent of it. That's kind of a human perspective, and you keep trying to connect that way. But see, in Christ, our connection goes so much deeper. Notice the way Paul puts it. He says, because you all are partakers of grace, fellow partakers of grace with me. It's God's grace that binds us together. We're joint participants in God's grace. Paul is essentially saying, 
hey, Philippians, we saw God's grace at work in one another's lives. God was moving among us. He bonded us together. That grace bonds us together. It isn't just common background, common whatever. It isn't that we like the same football team, but go Broncos. Um, It's knowing we have each been given the grace of God. And this other person sitting next to you has experienced the depth of the grace and been called out of the world into the kingdom of God. And now you have been adopted together into the same family, the family of God, through the blood of Christ, forgiven by him, given his spirit to depend on. We're all God's kids, and that bonds you together. So now there's a oneness that holds you together despite any other struggles or differences. Isn't that powerful? Being co-partakers of grace. I appreciate the Benford family, Jeff and Jen Benford. They've got two kids of their own, and they've adopted a couple of others, Jackson and Hope. Jackson and Hope don't look the same as the other kids. They're from a different country. And you know what? They are 100% fully Binfords. I mean, they are part of the family, and they are there, and they're loved as equally as the other kids, and it's wonderful to watch. And that's how it is in God's family. We've been partakers of grace. We've been called into the same family, and that bonds us together far more deeply than anything else could. And so we are one family together. So being co-partakers of grace, Paul says, bonds us together in love. And secondly, he says, I have you in my heart because I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. What's what's he saying there? I think he's saying that I have a deep, deep deep-seated longing and affection for you. And that word is a great word. It's a It's the Greek word splankna, which really means literally guts, splankna. But the verb of this this, uh, word, the verb form, uh, as my son Jeremy helped me learn, occurs 12 times in the New Testament. And 11 of those times, it essentially refers to God's compassion, where Jesus says he looked on them with compassion, and then he acted to bless them and to meet their needs, this deep compassion. And what Paul is saying by using that word is that the affection I have for you is not my own. It's the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, our own affection is fickle, right? And you do something to me and I'm mad at you. I don't like you anymore, etc. But when you take on the affection of Christ Jesus, when it's his heart being lived through you, Then you can have the attitude of Paul, which is, you know what? It's not my affection for you, Philippians. It is the very affection of Jesus. He's taken over my heart in a way where my affection for you is because I'm seeing you with the eyes of Christ. And my heart longs to be with you and to share the life of Christ together. Even though he's in prison, he says, I long to be with you because we have life together in Christ. And I have the very heart of God. Jesus has so gripped my heart that I love you with his love. And my love is empowered by his love in me. That's the essence of agape love, that it's his love for one another flowing through us. My friend Ray, who's part of this church, 
his heart began to fail. And so they installed a device in him, an LVAD, a, a heart pump, because his heart could no longer pump the blood. And so he lives and walks around carrying a battery pack and having this pump that keeps him alive. And I, I like the analogy there that when, when you submit to Christ and say, Lord, love through me, give me your heart for other people, he takes over our heart and he pumps his life through us to love other people in a way that we never could in ourselves. You see, Christ's power loves through us when we can't. That's the affection. That's the heart of love. Now he goes on to talk about the mind of love, the heart and now the mind. Notice in verse 9 how Paul prays for them. And this I pray. And in all the book of Philippians, he only prays one thing for them. Remember, they're struggling with their unity. They're struggling with really being one together. He says, this I pray that your love, your agape, may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Paul prays that God would infuse them with agape love, with the kind of love that only God can give, that comes only from him. It's his only request because Paul knows that what should characterize the body of Christ, every community, every church, every gathering of the body of Christ, the one thing that should be most prominent, that should characterize us in our community together is agape love. Because Jesus is loving through us. I love the story from the early church of Julian the Apostate. He was emperor of Rome. He hated Christians. He persecuted them. He tried to destroy the church. But he wrote this letter, which is very descriptive of what was going on in the early church. And let me read part of what he said. He, he loved, by the way, the pagan religions, and he called Christians atheists because they didn't worship all the Roman gods. And he says this, Why do we not observe that it's there, the Christians' benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the, in his critical word, pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism? In other words, unbelief of their pagan gods. <laughs> For it is disgraceful, he says, that when the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. Do you hear what he's saying? He says those darn Christians, they love each other too well, they're too holy, and people see that we're not doing a good job, all us pagans. And that makes me mad. But what it is is a marvelous testimony of what was going on in the early church. That even someone who hated Christians had to admit, man, they're loving one another and they're even loving people outside the community. Could that be said about us today? Would that be the first thing that people would say about us? Interesting. You know what the polls say. When people are asked, what do you think of when you think of Christians? What's the first word that comes to mind? You know what they say? Something like condemning, critical, those kinds of words. Hmm. 
think we have some things to, to learn, don't we? So he says, I pray that your love may abound, may spill over, may just be pouring out so you love each other so well that it's hitting the community as well. <laughs> That's what he says. That's what he prays for. But notice what he says. He says, I pray that this would happen in all knowledge and discernment. See, agape love is from the heart, but it's also from the mind. The mind is very important. Now, why is that? Why, why isn't love just, hey, I'll just do random acts of kindness and, you know, just do what feels good to care for other people, and that isn't, isn't enough? Why does it take knowledge and discernment for agape love to impact? Well, because agape love is kind of like a guided missile. It needs that GPS. It needs to hit the right target, or it's not really going to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in people's lives. We need knowledge and discernment because it's often really tough to know how to love people, isn't it? Let me just give you some examples. Your son is 15. He just got into trouble at school. What's the loving thing to do? Support him? Bail him out? Let him suffer the consequences? You just found out your husband had lunch with another woman and hid it from you. You confronted him, and he denies that it was anything. What's the loving thing to do there? You're in college, and you caught your roommate looking at porn. How do you love him as a brother in Christ? You watch a friend of yours getting into an emotionally abusive relationship. What does it mean for you to really love her well? A friend of yours at school is making some bad choices, and you know it's not good. For them, how do you love him or her? Okay, I could go on, right? But, but the, I hope you get the point that love takes knowledge and discernment if you're really going to do what's best for the other person. And that takes knowing God better and better. It takes knowing yourself. It takes knowing other people. It takes knowledge of the truth so you can keep growing, as Paul puts it, more and more in loving others. It takes depending on his insight and praying for discernment. Lord, please, I need the mind of Christ, which 1 Corinthians 2 talks about, that we've been given the mind of Christ, but do we rely on it? Lord, give me your wisdom. Give me your insight on how to love, because I don't know what to do. We need the insight of Solomon, don't we, where the two women came to him and they had one baby and... They said one died in the night, and so both were claiming to be the mother. And so how do you love in this situation, and how do you love the mother in particular? And Solomon said, take a sword and cut the baby in half, knowing that the mother would say, no, give, give the baby to the other woman. Please don't kill the baby. And the other woman's going, yeah, cut it in half. It was obvious who the mother was, so Solomon could respond in love. How did he think of that? God's. Wisdom, And we need that kind of wisdom if we are going to love well in our communities. And notice how he says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. I appreciate that because I know a lot of times I don't love very well. But what it means is we need to be patient with one another as we learn to love better and better and forgive one another and forbear with one another as we're in process. But let's keep growing. In love. Let it be something that we are 
seeking the Lord to love through us. Lord, give me your mind. Lord, give me your heart so that I can be growing in loving those around me. So he talks about the heart of love. He talks about the mind of love. And third, the will of love. Verse 10, where he says, so that you may approve or test the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. The NIV says that you may discern what is best. Literally, that you may test the things that differ. That word for test, the Greek word dokimazo, dokime. When, when a pot was taken and it was made and then they put it in the fire to see if it would last. And a lot of times they just broke. But if it made it through the fire, they would stamp on the bottom of it, dokime, tested, approved. And what Paul's saying is that we have to test our love by actually choosing to do it, by acting on it, by stepping out and learning to love better and better as we go, as we test the things that are different. When you have Jesus's heart for one another and you're beginning to take on the mind of Christ, it doesn't stop there. You have to step out and act in love to choose. Agape love always acts. Love is a choice, a choice to seek what is best for the other person. And if you struggle with having the will to love, well, let me jump ahead to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where he says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It sounds like we do it all on our own, right? (laughs) Work it out. But notice verse 13. For... It is God who is at work in you, both the willingness and the working for his good pleasure. Do you struggle with having the will to step out and set aside your own interests? It's hard because you you're so concerned about yourself and your own life and you find yourself making choices that are for you than for rather than others. Then pray and ask God to give you the willingness to step out and begin to act as though he's given it to you. And just a a comment about this, stepping out to love. Too often we get in the way of what's best for another person because we think love means we don't want this person to hurt. We don't want them to go through a difficult time. But when you realize, when you take on the mind of Christ and you realize what's best for this person is often that they be broken of their selfishness and broken of their own self-dependence and learn to depend on God with their whole lives, then you'll often let hard things happen to people. Oh, you'll pray for them and you'll hold their hand through it and you'll walk with them through the valley of shadow of death and you'll be with them, but you won't try to stop the difficulty because you know that God's doing something greater. You see, that's where agape love is so different than a worldly kind of love. James Dobson years ago wrote a book called Love Must Be Tough. And sometimes it must be tough. Chris Yuan was a man who was into the gay lifestyle. He bought and sold drugs. He was a dealer. And things got worse and worse and worse. And his parents were praying for him. They'd come to Christ through all of this. And they were struggling with what to do for him, how to love him. And then he got arrested. And in his time in jail, they didn't try to bail him out. They didn't try to, they just prayed for him. 
tough love. But while he was in jail, he was bored one day and he looked in the garbage and he found a Gideon's Bible. He decided to start reading it. And as he read it, he saw the love of Christ and what Jesus had provided for him on the cross. And he gave his life to Christ there in prison. Ended up getting out of prison, going to seminary. And today is a professor at Moody Bible Institute. Sometimes tough, tough love, choosing what's best, not what makes you feel better or the other person feel better, is real love. Acting in real love. So Paul's described the heart of agape love, the mind of agape love, the will of agape love. And notice every one of them is all infused with the power of Christ because this is supernatural love. It's nothing that we can produce on our own. It's in dependence on him that it comes. So finally, he talks about the fruit of love. If we act this way, what results can we expect? Verse 10 and 11, where he says, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, if we're growing in agape love, learning to love with our heart, with our mind, with our will, submitting it to him and letting his life flow through us, all that we are, what can we expect to happen in our lives? Can we expect that everything's going to work out great <laughs> and our, all our kids are going to come to Christ and life will go well? No, we can't expect that because God has greater purposes than we can understand. But what can we expect? Well, I want to highlight four things I see in these couple of verses. Number one, we'll be growing in Christ-likeness. Notice he says, in order to be pure or sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, we'll be growing in him. The things that hold us back, the, the guilt and the shame and the failure and the struggles and the slavery and all of that will begin to be transformed in our lives. And I don't know about you, but that is really good news because when I try to grow and change myself and grit my teeth and try to become more like Christ, I just fall on my face over and over again. I've tried that. Have you tried that? It doesn't work, right? Yeah. But what Paul's saying is something very interesting. He says, when you seek to love other people and let Christ love people through you and you depend on him for that, you begin to be transformed. The guilt and shame begin to be dealt with. You begin to experience more wholeness and integrity in your life. Second fruit I see is that we will see Jesus living through us more completely. Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. I think he's saying you'll see Jesus's righteousness live through you. You'll experience, wow, God's loving through me, and that's awesome. I hope you've experienced that, where you've gone into a situation, you go, I have no idea what to do. Jesus, you've got you to you gotta love this person through me. You've got to do something here. And he gives you the words to say. And he gives you compassion and the affection of Christ for that person. And you walk out of there and you go, wow, God did something great. Thank you, Jesus. You see, that happens when you choose to step out and, and actually walk into those difficult situations and just ask God to love through you. You'll see Jesus living through you. Third, he says in this passage, 
God will be glorified. He ends it to the glory and praise of God. You see, we'll be fulfilling what God created us for. To reveal him to a world that's starving for real love in their lives. And as we seek to love one another, God's love will begin to flow through us and people will see God like Julian the Apostate did living through us and it'll impact lives and God will be glorified. And then fourth, though it's not in this passage, it's in the whole book of Philippians, the final fruit of stepping out to love is that we'll experience unity and out of that unity, joy. We'll be bonded together And God will produce a joy in our community and in our hearts individually that will be transforming because the puzzle pieces will be fitting together. There's nothing worse than one of those puzzle pieces over here because that's not complete and the puzzle piece is isolated. But when we seek to love and fit into the body and see our part and love one another, we fit in and we experience joy and we help everyone else to experience the joy as well. Isn't that awesome? So how do we experience real joy in our community? By healthy, loving, growing relationships. And what bonds us together? Love. But not worldly love. It's got to be supernatural love. It's got to be agape love. Not warm feelings, but where the heart and the mind and the will are all engaged to put others first. Not by trying hard, but by depending on Jesus to love through you. When Jeannie and I were newlyweds, we went to work with a ministry in Vacaville, California, at, a, at the prison there. And as we would go in every day, we just did that for a couple of weeks, but we were going in with someone who'd been a prisoner and then he came back out. His name was Bobby. And he was ministering to the, to, uh, the prisoners there, that many of whom he'd been served in prison with. But he loved him. But I remember his prayer often that he would pray. And it it struck me because I'd never heard a prayer quite like it. And what he would pray is this. Jesus, love yourself through me. And I thought, that's weird. (laughs) That's a different way to look at it. I don't think it's weird anymore. Because I realized the only way I can love Jesus is if he's infusing me with his love. And the only way I can love other people is if he is infusing me with his love. So I think it's an excellent prayer. Jesus, love yourself through me. And Jesus, love others through me with agape love. And I think the testimony of this passage is is that will bring true joy to you and to our community. What a glorious picture of what Jesus wants to do in us. So right now we're going to take communion together. Communion is a wonderful opportunity to remember what bonds us together. It's the agape love of Jesus Christ. He gave up his life for us. And because he gave up his life for us, we have his life available to us to love him and to love one another. Just a couple of reminders. If you're a guest today, you're welcome to take communion Um, As part of us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because you're part of the body of Christ. And as we uh, pass out the elements, just a reminder, the bread is all gluten free. So if you have that issue, you can take it. So let me pray and then we'll pass out the bread and I will lead us in taking it together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we here 
If we've given our lives to you, if we've submitted our lives to you and accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are all partakers of grace together. And that bonds us together in a unity that is far greater than anything the world has to offer. And thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, your very life in us to depend on that we might love you and love others well. But we acknowledge that we are sinners and that in ourselves we could never earn the right to be in your presence or to be adopted by you. And so as we take these elements, the bread and the cup together, we acknowledge and we praise you that forgiveness comes only through you and our access to you comes only because you died for us, Jesus. And so as we take these elements, we celebrate you, we give you all the praise and the glory as fellow partakers of grace together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.